One interesting feature about the human experience is that all of us have needs. Each and every one of us. There are people in third world countries, some even in this country, who don't have anything to eat. There are people who don't have jobs. There are people who need companionship. They want some sort of relationship, some sort of crutch. There are people who need stability. But no matter where you find yourself, that's not your greatest need. That's not my greatest need. Our greatest need as humans, is to be made right with God. That is our greatest need. God is glorious. He's a designer par excellence. He created the universe in all splendor. He created the oceans. He created the mountains. He gave man the intellect to think up skyscrapers. He has no wickedness in him. There's no evil in him. And if you and I want to be made right with God, then we have to rid ourselves of sin. What sin? Sin is a deliberate choice to live life absent of God. It's saying, God, I don't want you. Essentially, what sin is, is a human's attempt to be God themselves. That goes for all of us. Because we're all guilty of sin. We've all attempted to be our own lords. And the truth is that God has the authority to do what he pleases with our lives. He's the judge. God is the judge. The glorious God who created you. Who allotted this time for you to live. He has authority. There's one thing that's for certain. He will never. He will never, ever, 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 forever, ever. He will never. Some of you guys will get there on the way home. He will never compromise his character, even if it's at our own expense. All right. He'll never compromise his character, even if it's at our own expense. I'm still getting some feedback. Should I move this right here? Okay. In our passage today, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 15, if you'll join me there. We're going to be looking at verse 33. Again, that's on page 853. And on this Good Friday, what we'll see is that Jesus was lamenting that his status before God was about to be lost. Because contrary to us, on our own, we can't have a good standing with God. Because we're all sinful. But Jesus always had a good standing with God. 
Jesus had a perfect standing with God. And in verse 33 of our chapter, we read that it's about to be lost. It says, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lema, Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And some ran and filled the sponge with sour wine, put a reed, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait. Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Jesus was on the cross at 9 a.m. The sun was shining while Jesus was crucified. He was on the cross for three hours. For three hours. You know what it's like to be crucified for three hours? Your flesh punctured by nails not to mention the fact that Jesus had caught a a fierce beating not just from the Roman soldiers this was a public spectacle anybody could get their own lick for three hours he was on the cross as his tissues exposed his guts was Jesus sun was shining and then at 12 o'clock lunchtime the entire city of Jerusalem went dark it went pitch black darkness filled the skies as if to say God is pronouncing judgment right now Could you imagine that? The sky just blacked out. This was the darkest moment in Jesus' life because Jesus didn't know what life was like apart from God the Father. He never sinned. He had a right standing. Jesus didn't know what it was like to live a daily occurrence without him. I mean, they created the world together. From generation to generation, from heavenly glory, Jesus and God the Father reigned sovereignly. And when Jesus came on earth through a virgin, there was not a moment that he wasn't approved by his Father. He never did anything wrong. He always did right. But at 3 p.m., at 3 p.m., His standing was on the brink of being loved. To Jesus, this was way more tragic than any beating he could have taken from anybody here on earth. God the Father was going to abandon him. And Jesus' last cry needs to be understood physiologically. When someone was crucified, they needed to, to use every ounce of breath to get out words. 
Because the only way that you can breathe was by, was by literally pulling yourself up. Here Jesus, in deep agony, not saying, it hurts. He could have. What he said was, my God, my God, Dad, Father, why have you forsaken me? See, part of the crucifixion, as I said, was getting the crowd involved. And the crowd thought this was funny. Others were still kind of skeptical to see, was this the savior of the world? I mean, he did some pretty miraculous things, right? He healed a blind man. Was this the Messiah? Was this the Christ? And see, they knew their theology. They knew of a prophet named Elijah. Elijah was a prophet that it was said that he would come to pronounce judgment or evoke judgment on behalf of God before the Messiah. So what did people do? What they did was they took a Roman soldier energy drink, sour wine. They put it on a stick and fed it to my Savior as if he was an animal to prolong his life. And you know what they said? Let's wait and see. Maybe Elijah will come down. This was Jesus on the cross. But Jesus didn't need Elijah. Jesus could have saved himself. Matter of fact, at, the requ- at one request, his father could have saved him. But that wasn't Jesus' mission. That wasn't his mission that he devised with God in eternity past. That wasn't his purpose here on earth. His purpose wasn't to be a magician and just show himself to save himself. That wasn't his purpose. His purpose was altogether different. So God the Father abandoned him. So that begs the question, why did Jesus lay down his life? And why did the Father let it happen? Why? I mean, this is the God who created the universe with his words we're talking about Jesus the one who who raised his boy Lazarus from the dead like nothing he surely could have did that for himself but he didn't why didn't he save himself Jesus didn't save himself because he wanted to pay and he paid the ultimate price in order to fulfill humanity's greatest need which was your and my standing with God. In verse 37, it says this. And Jesus other, uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now you got to understand something about where this, take, this took place. This took place in Jerusalem. 
in Jerusalem, there was this temple. There was a holy temple. And in this temple, there was this section called the Holies of Holies. And you couldn't just walk into the Holies of Holies. Matter of fact, only one person could enter the Holies of Holies. And it was the high priest of the nation. And once a year, what this high priest would do is he would take a goat, an animal, a physical animal. He would go into the Holy of Holies, which was separated by a curtain. And he would slay that goat. He would murder that goat. And when he murdered it, it satisfied God's wrath for the year on behalf of God's people, collectively. So a goat would die, a goat would take the punishment once a year for the sins of the nation. He took the punishment, death. And this was the only way to satisfy God's wrath in a way that didn't compromise his character, but still allowed God's people to relate to God himself some way. And right outside the city gates, in Golgotha, the place of the school, here Jesus is outside of the temple. And when Jesus died, the veil that separated the most holy place in the land where God's presence was dwelling and that curtain was torn from top to bottom. This time it wasn't a goat that was being sacrificed on behalf of people. Now it was Jesus. And the curtain torn signified the permanence of the sacrifice of Jesus once and for all. This gave humanity access to approach God because God is holy. There's no wickedness. God's presence, if you enter on your own with your own wickedness, will literally kill you. So if you had access to God's presence, that meant that you had right standing with God. So why did Jesus lay down his life? To make us right. To make us right. To fulfill our greatest need. But how do we get this need fulfilled? Because the truth is, not all of us are right with God. Jesus died for anyone. But who is that sacrifice for? If you continue to read with me, in verse 38, it says, And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that this way, or the way in the way, and when the centurion who was facing him saw that this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Verse 40, There were also women looking on from a distance among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the son of James the younger and Joses and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to 
Jerusalem. You see, a right standing with God is unlimited if you have it. If you have a right standing with God, it's unlimited. There's no hindrance to it. But it's exclusive. There was a variety of people who witnessed his death. And the text tells us that women followed him devoutly. They cared for his needs. They, they walked with him through, through the town of Galilee. They came with him to Jerusalem. They made sure that he was good. They saw his miracles. They heard the authority of his preaching. And they probably, most likely, believed that Jesus was the son of God. But the centurion, the centurion, he noticed that this crucifixion was altogether different. Roman society was a bloody society when it came to criminals. He had seen a crucifixion before, but this was different because in other gospel accounts, what it tells us is that when Jesus died, not only was it dark, but an earthquake erupted. The rocks were split. The the, the world that declares the glory of God at once began to cry out and lament. He knew that this wasn't just any old party, any old parade. Isn't this ironic? I mean, if if you think about it for a second, the women, they probably saw that Jesus was the son of God when he was alive. I'll give him that. He did miracles. He rose people from the dead. He healed the sick. He preached with authority. But the centurion came to believe Jesus when. And he said, truly, this is the Son of God. So this tells us something profound. It tells us that the, that the death of Jesus was not a simple sacrifice. It was God in the flesh dying for humanity once and for all. But the payment of sin is exclusive, as I said. It's exclusive for those who repent and believe that Jesus died for you. You see, when you and I own up to the fact that it was our pride, our loss that led to his beating. When you and I know that it was our disobedience that weakened his body as his blood was spilled through the streets. That it was our distrust toward God, us trying to be God, us trying to be our own lords that shamed him and mocked him. When we realize that we contributed to him being on the cross, that we put Jesus on the cross, and we turn and we believe that he died for us, we are made right with God. Jesus takes on what we deserve and gave us what we didn't earn, which is the righteousness of God. God's justice satisfied, yet his love exemplified for the world to see, and he invites you and I to come and experience it. Now, one interesting feature about court is that when you go to court, there's a judge. 
I'm talking about physical court. And this judge has the authority by the state and ultimately by our nation to have your life in their hands. And if it if if you're in court because something involves you, it's it's probably nerve-wracking to some degree because you could be mistaken. Or even worse, maybe you know that you are guilty. And see, in court, there comes a time where you could even have a lawyer or you can defend yourself. Most people, if it's a big enough case, they'll get a lawyer. Or people who try to defend themselves and say, man, this isn't going too well. But they, there's a standby lawyer who's there. And he'll try to give you some advice. But at the end of the day, there's no lawyer, there's no advocate that can serve any consequence that you might incur from a judge. All that lawyer can do, that human lawyer could do is advocate for you, could speak on your behalf, but they can't take that consequence for you. It's on you if you're guilty. And that's a small picture because before God, we're all guilty. We've all sinned against God. But Jesus, who is God in the flesh, he came on earth. He lived the perfect life. He never sinned. He died the death that we deserve. And he's our advocate in heaven if we turn away from our sin and believe in him. And if we believe in him, he's not only our advocate, he takes the punishment for the crimes that we committed against God. And he did that once and for all on the cross. So the question on the floor is, where do you stand? Because your good works does not make you right with God. You can't try to be God enough to eliminate your sin. You can't. You're guilty. And even if you tried, you couldn't because it's not just what you do that makes you wrong before God. It's the inclinations of your heart that makes you wrong before God. You deserve the wrath. I deserve the wrath. But if you trust, that Jesus died for you, what ends up happening is that God forgives you. That God forgives you of your sin. And that's why we call this the good news. And when you're forgiven by God, not only do you have a relationship with God, but you have a not only do you have a right standing with God, you have a relationship with God that transforms you, that's unlimited, and you have eternal life. But again, this is only for those who believe in the ultimate sacrifice. Would you turn and believe that Jesus died for you today? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I pray that we never treat 
the crucifixion of Jesus as light. God, we know that we are deserving of the punishment that that, that we uh, deserve, God, because we, we're sinners, Lord. God, and I just uh, thank you, Lord, for for everyone here who has turned away from their sin and has believed in you, God, I pray, Lord, that we would be ignited and stirred up today, Lord. I pray, God, that uh, those who don't know you would turn and believe in you, Lord. Those who don't know where they stand with God, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would come and trust your son, Jesus, and that they would experience the joy of his salvation forevermore. I pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus, who rose from the grave on the third day. Amen.